What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 141 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I sat down with Scott Stevens. Scott owns Beach Tree, which is a fulfillment by Amazon company that distributes bamboo straws around the world. This is his first venture into the online entrepreneurial space. And after the years of time we spent together in Nicaragua, and then coming to a point where he had a child living on a whole different continent, realizing he obviously wanted to be a part of his child's life. So he went back to the States, got a job as a flight attendant with United Airlines so he could maintain that. He has come to the point where he realized that he still wants to be able to live anywhere he wants in the world and not have to commute to England to see his child or anywhere for that matter. He wants to be able to make money online and either locate himself over in Europe be in Nicaragua where he loves, and just have that location independence that I myself am also trying to design my life with. So Scotty decided to start Beach Tree, and he uses Fulfillment by Amazon. And throughout this episode, he takes us through that process, you know, from coming up with the idea of, you know, selling bamboo straws online to how he was able to organize through Alibaba, you know, a manufacturer to having it shipped to his Amazon store, who then ships out the bamboo straws when he makes a sale. Um, I think a lot of people can mimic this model out there who are listening. Uh, it's not easy. As he says, it took him about two months to kind of figure out how this whole process worked. He got all the information for free on YouTube. So it's something that is available to everybody. And I think it's a really interesting business model that, you know, for a lot of people out there, um, Scotty's just starting out, but there's a lot of people who are making very, very good livings on the fulfillment by Amazon, just sourcing products in China and then having them shipped out to whoever orders them in the world. So get ready. This is going to be a really cool episode. But first, if you're a first-time listener, please pull out that phone and hit the subscribe button. If you like Misfits and Rejects, you know it would mean the world to me if you gave it a five-star rating. That really helps me in the iTunes algorithm to help boost my ratings up and get more listeners to find me throughout the search engines on Spotify, iTunes, whatever podcast player you're listening to this on. You know, Five-star rating would mean the world to me. And I hope Scotty's story really shows you that, you know, with a little bit of money, not much, you can get started and at least get your feet wet with this entrepreneurial online business thing that a lot of people are talking about, you know, the digital nomads. Some people are out there just doing some of the most creative things to make money online. And I'm trying to bring those stories to you to hopefully, you know, have a little light bulb go off in your brain that says, hey, I could do that too. So I'm going to try as well. So with that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Scott Stevens. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners... A lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Scott Stevens from Beach Tree, who is a good friend of mine from Nicaragua. We spent a lot, a lot of years down there, and he's on this new venture that I'd love to share with the audience because I think it's a really good thing he's doing, not just for himself, but for the world. Scotty, welcome to the show. Yeah, buddy. Awesome to be here. Stoked to see you. It's been a, while. It's been a couple months. Um... First, just want to say it's an honor to be on Misfits and Rejects because I'm a big fan. Appreciate it. Yeah, dude. Thank you for coming. It's been a, you know, it has been a few months. Uh, we always seem to connect though in really cool ways. And when we do connect, it's always sharing a nice glass of rum, which this 18 year that we're sipping on is absolutely wonderful. Ooh, we. I know we we're talking pre-show just about Nicaragua and how much we miss it and how much we both are designing our lives to enable ourselves to be in places like that long term without having to, um, not hut. We're not trying not to hustle. It's just we don't need to, we don't want to have the brick and mortar, say, in a country like Nicaragua right now that is in such political turmoil and, and destroying the tourism. I mean, is that kind of how you feel and, and what's motivating you to like get into this online game? Yeah, that is the dream. You said it to, uh, eventually be back down there in the tropics and hopefully making some, uh, some money online. That would be awesome. Um, kind of designing your own lifestyle and surfing as much as we can, right? Totally. I mean, your lifestyle is unique in that you also have a child who's in Europe, in England mm -hmm. to be specific. And I know mm -hmm. 
um, you've designed your life to be a part of his. So you went out and you got a nine to five within what it's American airlines or United you fly with, right? So you are, yeah. they don't call you stewardess. What do they call you? Yeah. Flight attendant. You're a flight attendant. <laughs> um, which was a conscious decision because under the circumstances in order for you to see your kid, you made a great decision to do that. Yeah. Um, how long have you been doing that for? Yeah, it's been about, uh, three and a half years. So he's four and a half years old. Um, was living the dream down there and, you know, had a little Higante love child and, uh, was forced to, to leave, but you know, it's been cool. And so had to, had to find a job as a flight attendant in order to make it out there to Europe and, uh, be able to see my kid and get to know him, make sure he knows me and be a part of his life. And, uh, since then, and at this moment, I'm constantly just trying to uh, figure out how to make it work, how I can spend more time with him, how I can spend more time down south in the tropics where we love it, um, and just kind of trying to design design a lifestyle around that. So for now, the flight attendant job has, has kind of solved those issues, but hopefully moving on pretty soon to uh, other ventures. But this is your first kind of online adventure with uh, the beech tree up uh, uh, bamboo straws, correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we, you and I have discussed this a lot because I'm, I've been diving into this space now for the last four years. Your good friend, Patrick, who I met, mm-hmm. he's also in the space. Um, so it sounds like just the people you're surrounded with kind of got into it. Is that what motivated you or were you always kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Are we always entrepreneurial and thinking about ways that you could make your own business? No, I grew up surrounded by um, basically jobs. My family has been in police, fire, working on the docks, totally secure. Um, that's your future. Go to school, get a job, complete security. That's what my parents want for me. Um, decided to kind of go away from that. I'm a bit of a black sheep in my family. Um, went down. I don't know if you want to get into the whole story, but Found myself in Higante and, uh, then found myself with a child. Found myself as a flight attendant. Wasn't too happy as a flight attendant. So since that, since I've had that job, I've tried, I've been trying to, uh, figure out ways around that, kind of how to slowly move out of that. And, uh, yeah, our buddy Patrick actually was talking to me about selling on Amazon. So. From there, this this whole beach tree idea was born. Yeah, we'll talk a lot about beach tree in a second. You know, prior to the Gigante love affair, child, <laughs> England flight attendant thing, like what kind of work did you have? I mean, you're what thirty yeah. something years old. Yeah, I'm thirty six. Uh, What'd you do? In graduated your 20s? with a degree in criminal justice, and immediately out of college, I was joining the the uh, L.A. Sheriff's Department. I got scared. I thought I was way too young. So I put a hold on it and bailed. Ended up working in real estate, doing a few other things. Uh, went back to the law enforcement capacity. I was a background investigator uh, working in national security. Did that for four years. So if you needed a top secret clearance, um, working in aerospace or for the military, I'd come interview you and your friend's family, uh, pull up records, do that whole thing. And then, did you have top secret clearance? I had a secret clearance that could be updated to top secret if I was going into a certain location mm-hmm. or dealing with certain information. Uh, they didn't want to. They didn't want people to just have top secret clearances if they weren't using them. Uh, but it was cool. It was God. It was a great job. I miss it actually. It does uh, sound really interesting. I mean, it sounds yeah. like something that might be up your alley. Yeah, it was really cool. We got to work from home. Uh, I was living on the beach, had a company car, had a great girlfriend. Everything was good until (laughs) basically I got my heart broken and at the same time lost the job because uh, we lost our contract with the government. I don't know if you've heard of Edward Snowden, but we gave him (laughs) his security clearance. No way. Yeah, so... Uh, that kind of tanked at the same time I had just gotten my EMT. I was trying to be a firefighter 
and the fire department rejected me during the testing process. So that's when I really started talking to our good friend, Bo Fox, a lot about coming down to Higante. And it was just time to make a big life change. You know, like I said, lost my job, broken heart, was in a lot of pain and just wanted to say, Hey, I'm going to take a month off and go surf with my buddies. Um, so that's when that story begins. But the travel aspect, though, I mean, you sounds like you were a traveler. This wasn't like the big leap out into the world as a traveler. I'm assuming you had been places to surf because you are a surfer prior to then making this decision mm-hmm. to go down to Gigante. Is that correct? Yeah. Before that, I'd been to Costa Rica a few times, went to Nicaragua maybe five years before that, stayed at Two Brothers in Papoya. And, uh, yeah, so I knew, I knew the area a little bit and I loved it. I mean, I never imagined that I could go down and live there because like I said, I was just from this kind of stable background, big family and law enforcement and, and fire and all this stuff. But, um, sometimes it takes a big kick in the pants and it takes some pain to, uh, to motivate you to make a big life change. Um, and actually, I was just going down for a month to surf, and I ended up liking it a little too much. And you so, stayed for what, like two or three years? Yeah, yeah. So my idea was, hey, I'll go down for a month, surf. I'll just keep studying for fire and applying for different fire departments. And I just, I just loved it, man. I just was like completely swept away by this little town that we ended up calling home, Higante. I'm sure you're, you've talked about it a bunch. I've I've heard mm-hmm. it. Um, and then it, you know, one month turned into, Hey, I'm going to stay for three months. And then next thing you know, I was just like, I had all these different jobs. I had a, a new girl that I was kind of with and everything was great. I mean, it's just paradise. Like different jobs. Back. Can you describe to the audience? Like what kind of jobs you fell into down there? Cause I think yeah, that's a big yeah. scare for a lot of people. It's like, well, like yeah. make ends meet. Like what did sure. you, what came, what came across your table? Well, first off, I was, I feel like a cheater because my best friend who I went down there to stay with is kind of like the mayor of the town. I mean, Bo just knew every, literally knew every single local, their families knew everybody intimately. He was like this community development, um, just the Jesus of town, right? Like he, he would do the census for town. So he, literally had to go and go around and meet every single person, um, in this, in this little, you know, maybe 500 people live there. I don't know, but, um, so instantly I was Bo's friend and I got to meet everybody and was accepted right away. So that like, when I think back on it, that's you know a little bit of a cheat, but I feel like when you're in these situations where you're in a new town and especially down there, all you have is your reputation. And if you're a good person and you just do the right thing and you get off your ass and just help people, good things will come your way. I was the guy that was always jumping up to help push the pongas in the water or pull them out or help just with everything, clean up trash off the beach, help with you know, the kids in Project Woo doing whatever they were doing. Um, so the next thing you know, yeah, I just had all these job offers coming at me looking for a good dude who's not like some dirtbag beach bum drunk, you know? Um, and so I think the first job I had was with John at the hostel working. Oh, I was doing rappel tours. So John had a rappel set up. Uh, off the giant's foot, 300 foot, super sketchy cliff with, um, no legal contracts or proper <laughs> gear. <laughs> uh, the gear was proper. I would I say the gear yeah. was proper, but yeah, like yeah. the whole, the whole thing was really, yeah. I was the guy I had no rock climbing experience and, you know, we had a few sketchy encounters, but anyways, it worked out and I was doing that. And then I was working on the booze cruise. So those were the two first things that I was doing. I ended up, uh, now are you working for money? You're just working for a place to stay in food. Yeah. I was working for money. Wow. So, uh, typically John was taking volunteers, but I just kind of figured out a way to, uh, to convince him that I was worth, uh, just taking a chunk of the, whatever sales we were making and, and working off tips. And then because I, 
I feel like I was just doing a good job and I was a good guy. Um, a new opportunity came into town and they came to me because they were just looking for a solid guy. Um, and this was to be a surf instructor at McCool, which was this brand new boutique multi hundred million dollar hotel that opened up on the next bay over. And, um, so I scored that job and shoot, if you were in town at that time, I bet you would have gotten it. I actually interviewed but, for it, like to be the one, like the person that was going to kind of organize that for them. And I felt that it was such an unorganized enterprise at the time that I just didn't want to even touch it. It was a mess. Yeah. It was a mess to get into, but all of a sudden I had the best job in town. Everybody's kind of struggling work and tourism and all this stuff. I was riding my little motorbike on a dirt road into this beautiful jungle of a amazing cliffside private point break, beautiful beach, new hotel every day. And then I'd come back, do a couple repel tours, jump on the booze cruise, and that's a day, and then party all night. You know, that was the dream. It was epic. Can can I ask how much you're actually making like at the end of the day? Yeah. Like, how much did you pull for that day? With sure. the surf so, instruction and everything else. The surfing was, I can't remember if it was 80 bucks a day or 40 bucks a lesson. I think there were some kind of negotiations going on. And we would just bang out one, two, three surf lessons in a row. And then we'd kind of kick it at the hotel. Like, so that's 120 the bucks pool. theoretically. Yeah. Roughly about that. Yeah. Come back, take a few people repelling, probably make 20 bucks. And then jump on the booze cruise, probably make... Whatever, we were making tips, so it might have been 20 to 40 bucks. So those are almost $200 days, almost yeah. $200 days. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's amazing money even for here in, in mm -hmm. America standards, and that's not even taxed. Yeah. That was amazing. I still feel like I was making more money down there than I am now as a flight attendant. <laughs> you pro I mean, yeah, after taxes, you probably were. Yeah. That's super cool. I mean, because yeah. I wasn't, we kind of connected towards the end of that stint for you being down there. Cause I was mm -hmm. away, like I think in Australia at the time or doing something else. And, um, but yeah, I mean that love of Gigante Nicaragua where we all kind of resided is just so infectious. And I mean, can you describe to the audience what it was for you? Like what really grabbed you? Was there one thing or was it just everything? Yeah. So I think about this all the time and it's kind of a hard question to, to answer. Um, it's a weird feeling. I feel like I was there for 10 years, you know, like, like a past life or something strange like that. But I do feel like it was a place where someone like us is completely accepted. Not that I wasn't accepted back home. I had friends and whatever, but, um, just accepted, embraced, loved, and you're with your friends all day, every day, like throughout work and Eating breakfast, lunch, dinner, cocktails in the evening, surfing together with like your tight crew in beautiful warm water with like, you know, great waves all the time. Um, everything about it was amazing. And it's almost like that thing from high school that you miss, seeing your buddies every day. It was like that, but we're adults. And, um, also, just the local Nicaraguans in town, like you would, you'd be driving on the street, you'd see the gnarliest looking dude, and if you just smile and wave, you're gonna get the, the biggest, like, smile with gold teeth back you've ever seen in your life. But people are just great. Everybody's, everybody's there to help each other out. That was another thing. Just a huge sense of community where we're just constantly helping each other out. There's stuff going wrong all day long, right? Whether it's with your vehicles or your house or whatever. And everybody's just helping each other out. I love that. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly mm -hmm. what I loved about it too and miss about it. I, it's the first place. I was 25 when I got there. First place I ever felt like I was accepted for just being me. The community aspect of it with the locals. It was so beautiful and just how we exchanged time and services and information and then yeah like you said just you're always with the people you love i mean my family's here in california and i love them to death um but california is not really where i feel the most at home so then you have that combination of friends down there who you consider family in an environment that is where you fit in 
And it's just this culmination of like a perfect life. Even though there's tons of struggles, like you pointed out, every day, water's breaking. Like there's no water to flush the toilets. Like it's just something after, you know, one thing after another. But at the, it doesn't seem as hectic as it does here. Even though here I feel like there's less of those types of problems. Like I don't ever run out of water in this house. Mm -hmm. Electricity doesn't ever go off. But somehow, it's just the day-to-day -day here is so much more painful. <laughs> yeah, you get thrown off mentally here. Mm -hmm. Down there, you're kind of actually dealing with, with real struggles. And so uh, I think you're just more clear-headed and okay mentally. Here, you, ha you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. So you end up focusing on a bunch of negative crap, really. And once you, I, I just feel like once you get a taste of that life down there, or wherever you may be traveling or living, you're kind of uh, going to be chasing the dragon the rest of your days. I know I am. Until we make this work, then. this beech tree, and we uh, yeah, yeah. are able to live anywhere and sell you know, bamboo straws. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I think you touched upon one thing that was you great. You just kind of glazed over, which is like we're not on our phones down there. Like how much, mm -hmm. how many times a day were you looking at your phone in Nicaragua? No, we didn't have internet. Right. And it's now that we do, like even when you were just there, like what, you were there like in April? Mm -hmm. Did you look on the phone ever? No, I think there there was definitely no TV. And um, no, I end up, you end up being way more social. You're, you have friends there every night to talk to you mm -hmm. and go have drinks with. Yeah, you do end up drinking more, but it's just part of being the whole... It's part of the whole social scene and it feels good. Yeah, I think too, tying that into this conversation of like the amount of information you're bombarded with back home because we're always on our phones, which is primarily negative, you know, from the media and just everything that seems the American public wants to consume. <laughs> I can just see how it affects the mentality of the people living here and, or especially me. I'm just going to speak for myself. Like I just mm -hmm. find my energy levels just like down and, and I'm always just constantly trying to stimulate myself in a way that I felt like I was in Nicaragua. Mm -hmm. Well, not to mention the traffic. Yeah. It sucks the life out of you. The traffic, the cell phones, the television. What do you do at night here? You watch TV. You probably turn on at four o'clock and you watch it till you can get so tired that you fall asleep. Are you a Netflix guy? Are you a news guy? Or um, no, both. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just do Netflix. Yeah. But I'm getting, I'm running out of documentaries, so I don't really yeah. watch it that much anymore. Right now, I'm staying with my parents for, uh, well, I already told you this, but for the listeners, shattered my collarbone on a motorcycle, and I've been off of work for a few months, so I decided to go stay with my parents, and it's Fox News City. Your parents <laughs> just consume Fox News? Yes. So that's on, like... Most of the time, um, and I just kind of try to stay away from that. And then, uh, like once it gets a little later, we'll hit up some Netflix or something. So but you guys, yeah. you guys commune like as a family yeah, around totally. the television. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you guys sit down for dinners every night yeah. together? We're sitting down um, in front of the TV eating dinner. Really? Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. Do you guys have conversations? About um, just, what you're watching, like after the TV. Yeah, I mean, on. just kind of small talk. We have fun. It's all good. Um, I'm just interested in the family dynamic. Just, yeah, yeah. You know, so, taking a peek into Scotty Stevens' sure, life, dude. Sure. So I grew up, there was five of us, kids, and now we're all out of the house. So they're kind of happy to have me back. And uh, dad's retired. He was a cop. He wakes up early, goes surfing just about every day, which is awesome. Can't go with him right now because I'm hurt, but usually that's kind of our thing. We'll go surf in the morning. Um, he's, he's kind of a fitness guy, so he'll, he'll work out, get stuff done around the house, whatever, and then, uh, take his nap. And my mom's kind of working away on her computer or at school or doing one of her many jobs all day. So yeah, at night they're kind of just TV people every day and I'll, I'll just hang out on the couch with them. That's kind of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometimes Thursday. And then the weekend is kind of time for socializing with my buddies or whatever. 
how do you feel about being a 36 year old man at your parents' house? I mean, I realize you're hurt. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, is that something that ever weighs upon your brain? Yeah, a little bit. It, uh, in what way? It, I'm, I'm okay with it straight up, but there are times where you just kind of question yourself like, what? Wait a minute. Have I been here too long? <laughs> um, unfortunately, before this accident, I had a big sinus surgery and I was off for three months. You know, so it's been almost like six months out of this last, well, pretty much this last six months. I've, I've been at home. I went up and I moved to San Francisco for a week and I had to come right back once I got hurt. So yeah, but I just, I treat it as a vacation and as, as an opportunity to, to work on my little venture and just soak it up, enjoy being with my parents. I mean, they're getting older and it's fun surfing and hanging with my dad and yeah, I just, I make the most of it. I don't feel too awkward. I, I don't either. I think, uh, maybe we're new unique or not. I don't know. But like, I mean, I'm living with my sister right now. I came back to help out with the kids. Um, but even if I hadn't come back for that, like I still probably would have come back because my business is weren't making enough really to keep me on the road. So I was, it's always where I come back to regroup and I, I love it in the sense of like, I don't really feel bad about being here because I'm spending so much quality time with the people I love and I am away so much that it's just, I know it's important. And, uh, yeah, I'm almost 40, dude. And like, I, I could do this my whole life. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really, I don't think about it like it's a negative thing because I think I appreciate it for what it is. It's just time to be with family, you know? I do know. Yeah. I think we've, kind of stepped outside of the cultural norms at this point. So things that m most people would think are strange. Um, I just, I don't put too much value into that anymore. I'm like, okay, I'm me. I know who I am and I know, um, what I'm doing is the right thing and I know it's all good. So people want to try to judge me for that. Uh, I just don't put any weight into how do you know? Like you just, that was really kind of interesting what you just said. Like, um, you know who you are and when, did, when did you come to that conclusion, become comfortable with that? What was it? And what does that mean? I would say definitely this, uh, this big change in life that we talked about me going to Nicaragua in the first place. And I don't know, starting a whole new life. That's just, um, counter to everything that the rest of my family is doing is the beginning of that. And then after a while, you just, you just know that what you're doing is, it's who you are. And there's no reason to put too much, too much weight on what other people think. And you're just okay with, with, with who you are. Basically. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. That's fine. You I mean, come I'll... to a realization that, uh, you're okay. And what, what do you start doing differently though? Like, how do you start behaving? Do you, do you act differently or you just? No, just lifestyle, really. Um, you know how we, we go back and forth. We go down south. We come back. We're constantly bouncing from one job to another. Kind of, we're searchers, right? And uh, the whole stable life just doesn't really fit into what we want. If I had, a, if I had all the stability, I would really feel like something was missing. You know, my, the longing for adventure and for new things and new people and just excitement and, you know, just the uh, desire to avoid a monotonous daily routine. You know, that's the scariest thing to me is to be stuck in, in some lame routine for the rest of my life. I don't mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, I totally feel you on that. And, uh, and see myself searching for the same thing always is trying to avoid, if you will, I don't know, uh, that and get back to where we fell in love in the first place. Not we fell in love, but, uh, <laughs> what we fell in love with. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk a bit about, uh, Beach Tree. Right on. And the inception of Beach Tree, because I mean, yeah. we, we alluded to a little bit in the beginning, but can you take the audience through Beach Tree, what it is, why you started it, mm -hmm. how you started it, and as much detail as you can so people can really maybe follow your footsteps or leave a little bread trail. Absolutely. So what beach tree is just a little venture that I started. It's, it's reusable bamboo drinking straws. So I sell them in a little 
uh, cloth bag. Is it hemp? Is with it a hemp cleaning bag? brush. I think it's just cotton. Okay. And uh, they're quite simply just bamboo straws. Straws made out of bamboo. They're treated, boiled down, um, polished up. Yeah, why would you have to treat and, a bamboo straw? Yeah, so there's just natural sap and um, like sugars inside of it that can attract bacteria and insects and stuff like that. So they boil it down um, with a certain concoction and then they uh, it just makes it you know, more sterile. Okay. If you're going to be drinking out of it. so. And how I came up with this, so I wanted, I'll be honest, it wasn't some uh, mission to save the whales or anything like that. It, it was it was basically based out of uh, off of me wanting to make some residual income and to be able to uh, work remotely. I did want to do something eco-friendly being a surfer and uh, spending a lot of time in the water and on the beach. You, know, you just see all the trash and all the crap. So I wanted to somehow combine those two, but my main uh, motivation was to make some money, um, quite honestly. Since this has began, my motivations have actually completely changed. I feel like Pandora's box has been opened. Um, once you realize and you look into it, how much plastic and especially single-use plastics are being used and just deteriorating our environment and poisoning our oceans and fish and people. Um, it just has completely changed the way that I, that I view life. So, so now it's just... Do you have any stats <laughs> on what you just said? Like, can you give us a perspective on like how dire the situation is and why, why straws are somehow going to save the planet? Sure. So I don't know the exact stats and all this stuff. I mean, I look at them all the time. I, I can't just repeat them, but that's fine. it's disgusting. So that's, I don't want to, I'm not going to sit here and preach to everybody and shame you for using plastic. I still use plastic all the time. This is just one little small step towards, you know, hopefully bringing awareness to people. It has certainly brought awareness to myself. And now, you know, I don't use plastic grocery bags. I don't use Ziploc bags. I don't buy water bottles at the store if I'm thirsty. I just tough it out and wait till I get home. I carry my own water with me. Um, I don't use straws. Just little things like that. I feel like if you just can um, put that on yourself to take small steps, and then hopefully technology comes up with a better plastic that we can use and actually recycle because right now, there's less than 10% of all plastics are even recycled, right? So you think that, that it's being recycled, but it's not. Um, and then, of course, government policies need to come along and, and kind of take care of the rest. There's only so much you can do as one person. But I think awareness is the biggest thing. It took one sea turtle with a straw on its nose to basically start the ban of of straws in California. And I think that's kind of amazing. I first saw that and I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. What's happening. Um, I'm going to jump on board and, uh, see where it goes. You know, people are already using metal, glass, reusable plastic straws. Um, I didn't see any bamboo straws around and, um, I thought that that was a great idea. Now that I've looked into it, bamboo is like this amazing plant with all these amazing characteristics. It's like this freak alien, the most sustainable resource that we have on the planet. It's like, it's totally crazy. So now I'm fired up on it. If I don't make any money, I really don't care. Um, I'd like to just be a part of the solution overall, start of, instead of being part of the problem. So No, beautifully said. I want to touch upon two things that you said. You know, one being for anybody out there looking for an idea, you know, the way you found this which was taking surfing, something you love, being on the beach every day, which is covered in plastic, mm -hmm. and then coming to the conclusion, like, how can I make one small change? And then being in California where things are, are you just mentioned straws are becoming banned, like, aha, aha moment, bamboo straws really mm -hmm. aren't being um, given it as an option. So maybe that would be a good little venture to start, I think, just for the audience. Like, that's mm -hmm. a process in which you can come up with an idea mm -hmm. to start your own online venture. 
Well, um, I'll tell you. So the whole original business model on Amazon is to look at the data to find a product. You want to find something that not a lot of people are selling and that is being sold pretty well. So, um, they, they coach you. I was listening to all these gurus one after another. I was paying to, to get these different software and everything to find a product to sell. So they tell you, don't, don't even think about it. Don't get passionate about a product because you're going to get too emotionally invested and you're going to fail because of that. Just look at the numbers. Uh, so I was looking at all this crap, like, I don't know, balloons and stuff like that. Um, plastic balloons. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so I, I just said, screw that. I'm going to choose something that I can stand behind and be proud of, you know, show my family and friends, get them fired up on it. Uh, something that fits in line with my morals and ethics. And, and, uh, and if it fails, who cares? I mean, it's just been, it's, I did it for a learning experience. Um, now I'm so glad that I made that decision because I just feel good about this. It's fun. It's been fun learning. Um, people are super fired up on this and it's, it's exciting. So what do you think has been the hardest uh, hurdle as you get into this online space? The hardest hurdle, um, I would say so from trying to move from Amazon into, uh, bigger and better things for this specific product. There's not that much. The margins aren't that great on Amazon. Uh, so I would like to branch out into retail space and I'd like to see these things everywhere. I don't see any reason why, why these shouldn't be all over the place. Uh, so when you say branch out into retail, just so the audience understands, that means mm -hmm. getting your product into stores. Yeah, exactly. Um, any specific stores or just anyone who's willing to sell your product? See, this is kind of the phase I'm at right now. This is all so new that I haven't really, I'm not in any stores. So right now, this is kind of my, my hurdle is just making that jump from offline or from online into brick and mortar, uh, retail stores. I'm thinking Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, that kind of spot. I think that would kind of fit in line with the image of the product that I have. So. Other than that, um, yeah, you have to communicate with people in China and get stuff shipped over, which can be a headache, but there are plenty of resources just off YouTube. I mean, there's millions of videos, uh, just kind of instructional videos. So the helps out there. YouTube can, I mean, I started a business with a thousand bucks off of YouTube. So I love hearing that. And maybe yeah. can you coach us through, uh, making those connections in China. Like mm -hmm. I know you went through Alibaba. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the audience what Alibaba is and how you used mm -hmm. it to make these connections to have these straws manufactured? Sure. So you go onto Alibaba. It's so simple. Just a website. You start reaching out to manufacturers. Basically Alibaba is, uh, I guess just a list of manufacturers that can make any product that you can think of. And so you, you verify that they're legit. There are certain ways to, um, there are certain ratings and all this different type of stuff to make sure you're dealing with an actual manufacturer who's not going to rip you off. That's the first part. How'd you learn that? Uh, just YouTube tutorials. They tell okay. you what to look for. All free information just yeah, on YouTube. Totally free. Um, and then you just, you come up with a script and, uh, you start emailing these people. You just go back and forth, make sure that you can communicate with these people. A lot of them have bad English and you don't want stuff to get uh, lost in translation. It's just going to cause problems down the road. So I found uh, a guy who I could talk to really easily and he had the best product. I got a ton of different samples sent from China, from all over the world, from Indonesia, the Philippines, uh, you know, China. India and I chose the highest quality bamboo for making straws that, that I could find. So it just happened that this guy had the best bamboo, bam, we connected and 
reach out, you negotiate. Everything on Alibaba is completely negotiable. It's actually expected in in China, their business practices. It's just it's assumed that they're going to start high, you're going to start low. So don't be afraid to uh, try and negotiate and get a good price. But that's how Alibaba works. And then uh, luckily, this guy had a good freight forwarder, so he handled all the, all the shipping. Uh, you know, it's, it's extra cost, but I have straight from China, then ship straight to the Amazon warehouse in the U.S. So you never touch the product, really, or you don't have to if you don't want to. No, I, I did not for my Amazon stock. However, outside of that, I have ordered separately to take to different trade shows and try to from the same guy. So you only have yeah. one supplier. Yeah, um, is that concerning? You know, if this supplier just disappears on you one day and you don't have any more bamboo straws? I haven't even thought that far ahead. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, we're using the bamboo straws right now in our, our rums. Yeah. And just from like the look of it, it's uh, very sleek, very uh, clean finish, almost to the point you're like, is this even real bamboo? Like it almost could have like a plastic feel to it, but yeah. you talk about it being like finished, polished product. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever think about even getting this tested to make sure it's real? <laughs> Yeah, you can, you can test it by snapping it in half. Oh, and then all the fibers pop out of it? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they are, they're durable. I'll tell you what. They're tough to break. No, it's sure. cool. Yeah, it's a, it's it's such an interesting process. It sounds like that anybody could really do with a little bit of time. Like, How much time do you think you put in just to the groundwork of learning how to get this bamboo straw into your hand for the first time? Like, Did it take months, weeks, days of you getting to this point to have this straw? Yeah, it took a few months. Did it? Um, definitely a lot, a lot of time watching YouTube videos. I was ready to peel my eyeballs out of my sockets. But uh, as far as once you make contact and you, you set the deal, okay, this is how much I want. You pay the guy. Uh, you pay him in full or do you just give no, him like you pay a- half. Okay. So he can have it made, pay the other half once it's shipped or maybe once it's landed. can't really remember. But... Um, Probably two months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just a process that I think everyone has million dollar ideas every day. And then when they start acting upon those ideas, taking the steps, they realize, oh my God, like you just said, like you want to peel your eyes out of your sockets because there's a huge portion of this that you don't really want to do. Yeah. You know, you love the bamboo straw, but then everything in the middle to get those bamboo straws sold and get the money in your pocket can be pretty hellish. Um, what's the thing you dislike the most out of this process? I would say learning about the shipping process is a total pain. It's so, I'd say, confusing. Thank God that there are these tutorial videos and they kind of just walk you through it. And you hear a lot of horror stories about shipping going wrong, stuff getting caught in customs and everything. Didn't happen to me. So everything went really smoothly, actually. But just kind of juggling that in your mind. And luckily, like I said, I, I only invested like a thousand or two bucks. I didn't have 20 grand of my life savings, you know, uh, invested in this where it could just be cotton customs. And hey, wait a second, it's made of wood that has to go through a separate um, customs department. I didn't know that. And all of a sudden they throw them away or something like that, you know? So you mind me asking how much you gross a month? Um, I couldn't tell you. I, I, let's see. Because you keep no books on the subject. No, I don't. I don't. I just, I bought a certain amount and I put a certain amount of money in and that's it. And I'm just kind of cruising, seeing how it goes. But I've, have had, made your I've money been back? selling, I've been selling on average two a day. I would say two straws, single straws or two packages, two packages, which is what? So they're 10 bucks each. And that comes with how many straws? 10 straws. Got it. Yeah. So it's basically a buck a straw. Yeah. So I've been selling, I'd say on average two a day. Um, and it's been six months now. So it's 20 bucks a day. So yeah. roughly six months. People can do the math. I'm not going to try to do it for them. Yeah. It's not a lot of money, yeah. but it's a start. And, yeah. and how much do you, of that are you, you think you get to keep? Like, or, uh, you don't have to even divulge that. That's fine. No, that's fine. Um, so Amazon, takes about four bucks off the 10. Yeah. So that's six bucks to you. Yeah. Then you have your and then manufacturing. So costs. I probably get about three. Um, 
where I went wrong as far as with Amazon is if you're going to sell on there, you should have a product that costs at least $20. Because if these were selling for 20 bucks, Amazon would still be keeping there four or five dollars, whatever it is. What about so if I had a thousand dollar product on Amazon? They're still taking four bucks? It depends on the weight. I see. Yeah. It depends on the size and the weight. Um, so for these. So for golden straws, <laughs> yeah. the weight would be different and then you'd be getting yeah. taxed more. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, but. You know, like I said, this, I'm trying to branch out of Amazon and that is the reason is because they keep a bunch of uh, the portion of the margins. Um, if I had a different product, I think Amazon would be great. If I had something that would sell for 30 bucks, that would probably be the way to go. But now I love these things. So no, it's super insightful. Yeah. Thank you for showing that. Here. <laughs> um, I had another question about that real quick. Let me think about it. I just had a full brain fart. Amazon. Um, yeah, I got it now. Do you sell these off your website? Like, can you cut out Amazon and just go straight from your website? Or that means you have to carry the product then, huh? Yeah, then you got to carry it and you got to ship it. Okay. So to avoid, in order to avoid that, my link from my website goes right to Amazon. Fair enough. Yeah. But again, this is also new and we'll see what happens. Um, if you were to project into the future of this new online enterprise, would you say that you're going to stick with this for another five years or do you have other ventures that you're going to start dabbling in, in the next year or two? Um, I don't have any other big plans, but I love bamboo now that I've learned about it. I just love it. It's like I want everything made of bamboo. bamboo. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking have my own bamboo garden somewhere. Uh, I just, and this, these are just kind of fantasies really at this point, but I think it's the greatest thing ever. So. Um, you could go we'll back see. to Nicaragua and become a bamboo farmer. Yeah, you can. You, we could go to Nika, get a piece of land, and farm bamboo. Hundred percent. Do you know anything about that? Like, as far as like, I've been looking into it. Is it good money, so, or is it like you're competing against China? Obviously, so. no. We'd be, we'd be, man, we'd be growing our own bamboo. We'd be turning it into clothing and and flooring and building materials and straws. <laughs> yeah. So do you know the type of bamboo you use? Cause there's so many different species. To I, make don't, straws. I don't, uh, I mm -hmm. asked the guy and he just said yellow bamboo. <laughs> <laughs> Were you on the phone with him or is this by email? This is WhatsApp. Okay. Yeah. And he speaks English. Like you understand what he's saying. Yeah, totally. Perfect. So you ever think about going over there and seeing his, uh, yeah. If, if this keeps going, I want to definitely go to China and uh, have a more direct line to the bamboo for cost-cutting sake and just to be more involved and see how these people are doing it and make sure that... Uh, I mean, you can, you can work with a small family-owned bamboo farm and they're like hand-making all this stuff themselves. So I think that'd be rad. No, it would be rad. I met a lot of people and had them on the podcast like Matt... Uh, Kowal, Kowalik or Kowalski, who's in China, and he was kind of like that middleman who like helped individuals find the right place to have their product manufactured, mm -hmm. the products manufactured. And um, there's something to that. Like if you can get over there and kind of mix it up, and learn mm -hmm. the culture a little bit more, even a little bit of language, like I think it shaves off a lot of the cost. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they all, they always recommend when you're dealing with people in China. I mean, get to know them personally as good as you can ask about their families totally bro down with them and that really goes a long way with them helping you uh, just make sure that everything's going well and they're not kind of ripping you off or whatever no, that's exactly what he said yeah like contracts in china don't really mean anything it's the relationships yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. sounds cool so how, how much longer until you're all healed up and get back to work um just a couple of weeks, I'll be back to work, and um, I'm not. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting back to work and doing something. But I think this flight attendant thing is kind of, kind of towards the end of uh, play itself out. Yeah, yeah. I've had enough time on airplanes and sitting in airports mm -hmm. waiting. So I do have a new job kind of lined up for the future, but it is. I have to make some big decisions. I think we're going to talk about it. You want to talk, talk a little yeah, bit yeah, about sure. it? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, I applied and I was accepted, but I still have to go through the whole testing process to be a California State Park Ranger. So I do love California. 
you know, I always took it for granted being back here. I'm like, my God, this place is awesome. Um, but I can't stand the cities. And if I am going to work here, I want to kind of be out there and away from traffic and all that kind of bull crap. I do have a background in law enforcement. And so that kind of seems like a, a natural, logical job that I want to get. But, you know, that we do, we have that thing that's telling, <laughs> that tells us, don't give up on the, yeah. uh, on the whole lifestyle design, live the dream, go back and forth. So this, this is a commitment. It's a full-time position. Um, you know, am I going to get to see my son as much as I am now? I don't know. Am I going to get to be able to surf and travel? I don't know. Am I going to whatever, but there's that stability aspect that always kind of is, is like kind of begging, beckoning as well. Right. So I feel torn right now. Uh, stability in what like sense? Financially. I understand and, the room, like the yeah. meaning of it, but like, yeah. what is it just financially for you? Financially and living, you know, I mean, you can, you can work somewhere, you can make a decent wage, you can start a life in California, you can get married and have a kid. Um, cause these are all things you want, like you see more kids in your future. This is, this is just something I struggle with more, I think. I love, um, I love my lifestyle, how free it is, and there's just nothing like freedom. I'm not jealous of any of my friends that are kind of locked down and making and living the traditional lifestyle at all. But yeah, I mean, seeing, seeing my kid and seeing how much joy I get out of that, there's really nothing like it. So that's another thing tugging me in that direction. But I don't know. At the end of the day, like, what do you really want in life? Like what, what are you really longing for? What do you, what's the ultimate goal? Um, and even though my, my life is completely re revolves around freedom and I'm happy about that. I think the ultimate would be to find someone to share your life with. I mean, to fall in love and have like a partner to share that freedom with, you know, and yeah, have a kid. So it's kind of a weird paradoxical thing that I'm going through. It's like, I want the freedom, but the ultimate goal is to settle down, I guess. <laughs> right? It's a weird thing. Yeah, we talk pretty sure a lot about it. You know, we, we, struggle, are, we yeah. seem to be in a very searching kind yeah. of frame of mind, you know, reading tons of books and yeah. um, talking to a lot of different people. And I, I, what you said sounded interesting to me, you know, the ultimate goal, finding that somebody that you can share the freedom with. And I think one thing I always toil with is that finding that person who actually shares the same sort of beliefs, goals mm -hmm. to the point that that is actually possible. We can actually go out and share those things mm -hmm. that you're already in love with. And you've met somebody who really believes the same sort of philosophical thing as well. That just seems far-fetched. <laughs> you know? It does. It totally does. But that's like, you have that longing in the back of your head, right? When you're like, sitting around lonely or whatever. I don't know. What's your like deepest desire out of life? I mean, right now it's to, I think like you said, stability wise, financially is where I, my head's at like 100%. Um, I'm super committed to this lifestyle design though. Like mm -hmm. I don't want children having a partner is not where my head's at at all. Mm -hmm. um, I surround myself with a lot of love. So I don't, I don't have that little niggle in the back of my brain. That's like, Oh, you like, you need to go find that person to fill you with love. Like, I know I'm loved. I love myself to the point of narcissism. Maybe, you know, like, I love hearing my voice on this podcast. Like, but yes. no, I mean, like, I genuinely yeah. am grounded in a lot of ways. But yeah, this financial yeah. stability is where my head's at. And uh -huh. I'm here in California with my family because that's also where I'm needed. And uh -huh. even more committed to designing my life with that freedom. So mm -hmm. I can always come back at the drop of a hat but with more financial stability. Mm -hmm. So when I am back, I'm not stressing about, um, do I have to get a job? If I get a job, am I going to get stuck here for a year or two? Like, mm -hmm. like talking pre-show and even sitting here drinking this rum, like every single cell in my body is like, get out, get out, get out, get back to Nicaragua, mm -hmm. get back to Asia. That's where I belong. I mean, with my family, obviously that's where my heart is and I belong with them at times throughout every single year. And I'm committed to trying to design that life so I can accommodate that. But just, 
I, I want to be out in the world experiencing it mm -hmm. all the time. I love sitting in airports. I fucking love it. <laughs> I have no qualms about it. You Getting on the airplane attendant. and smelling that air. I love it. Don't want to be a flight attendant because you're just like a, you know, you're in the, you're a slave in the air, dude. Like yeah. flight attendants get shit on, dude. You don't get to go where you want to go. No. That's kind of. The and thing. you're just serving people who are not satisfied yeah. with the customer service. Like, and you're working their ass off. Like yeah. I've had, my mom was a flight attendant for a few years and friends, aunts, and they all say the same thing. Like you just, you get shit on, you don't get tipped, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't get tipped. It's the strangest thing. Yeah. I don't get it. You're sitting there serving people for six hours. Yeah. <laughs> Drinks. And I always try to take something nice and I tell them the same story. Like, Hey, family members have been flight attendants for years. Um, I give a little box of chocolates to the lead stewardess and there say like, Hey, share this amongst everybody. I appreciate you. Yeah. Right on. You know, so you get a free cocktail. <laughs> they're always super kind and yeah, they always offer something. That's yeah. for sure. Not always, but they always are appreciative. But yeah, it's a good question. That's where I'm at though. What do you think about Asia versus Central America? Asia for me, I feel more at home in Central America scratches the itch of excitement in the sense of like, this place is real wild. I know there's probably parts of Asia. I mean, I don't know. I haven't obviously been all over Asia. I spent tons of time in China, but like, it's just, there's a, there's, it's raw. It's way raw way more like wild west in central america nicaragua i guess specifically to speak mm -hmm. of um culturally asia's not that uh i was shocked to be in Myanmar and have it be even though it was it's super super poor and the government is super corrupt it was so well organized like i could get anywhere i wanted so easily they're so friendly and like when you're trying to get from point a to point b in nicaragua it's kind of the same it's just way more uncomfortable, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like people are super friendly and yeah, yeah, you can, you can get a bus from Rivas to Managua two hours. It's like clockwork, but you're sitting on a bus. It's super hot. It's packed full of people, uncomfortably packed where it's like in every single country I was in Asia, which was Thailand, Myanmar, Vietnam, Taiwan, dude, it's so easy and so comfortable. And That's I cool. think just with the culture, I just, I, I had a lot of foreign exchange students growing up, so the Asian mm. Asian culture, which is I hate to generalize because it's all so different, is just something I feel very at home in. Hmm. Yeah, I've never been. I'm always kind of like nervous. Yeah, to go over I there. get nervous every time I go someplace new too. Yeah, crossing the border from Thailand to Myanmar, I was like, oh god, here we go. Like it's like black and white. Like you walk from the most pristine environment to the biggest like shit show where it's just like dust, dirt, like chaos. Like I felt like I was in India, but then all of a sudden you're like, this definitely isn't India. Like these people are way different. And it's like, I just relaxed into it and it was, it was, it was beautiful. Loved mine more. Go back in a second. Yeah. It's a strange thing in these countries where, I mean, compared to the U S like when you're in Nicaragua, you feel like completely free You'd sit in the bed of a truck, slamming a beer, driving down a dirt road. Right. Um, but if you come across the police, there's like a real serious threat, like all the time here in Nicaragua. Oh, really? I mean, you just never know. Like they could toss you in the can for something crazy and then you're in jail in Nicaragua. Holy shit. <laughs> what are you going to do? This is, this is something we should discuss because I don't have that. And then, well, and then here I have that here. Yeah. I don't have that in Nicaragua though. Yeah. Like the police huh. in Nicaragua, I feel no threat from really the police in America. I'm tremendously scared of. Yeah. Early years when I first started traveling and living in Nicaragua, I was afraid because I didn't have the language skills to really understand the exchange mm -hmm. in Nicaragua. Now you could pull me over. I don't care. Like you can threaten me all you want. You can even take me to jail. Like I'm okay with that because ultimately I know it's more or less a bluff. Even if you kept me in jail for like four days, hmm. like I still know unless something really tragic and unfortunate, unlucky happened and I died in jail, I'll probably get out real quick. Hmm. You know, where here you get lost in the system for something you didn't do. Like that guy I was on Joe Rogan recently, uh, Nick Jarvis spent 22 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit. Like that's what scares me. Really? Mm -hmm. See, I feel like that is so rare and you do have this, the constitution and all this stuff to protect you here or down there. 
Down there, you're protected Dude, by you corruption, though. Thrown in I there. can pay thirty grand and get oh out anytime God. I want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a interesting conversation to have. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think with time spent in places, uh, your psychology changes and your perception changes when you become more familiar with this system and how things work, um, and the language skills get better. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, yeah, I think the point is that down down there in Nika. You don't really see the cops, like mm-hmm. especially if you're in town. They're just non-existent. Well, there aren't any in Tigante. Yeah, yeah. We, so we have to police and protect ourselves. Like, every night's just. I mean, I don't want to brag about like. There's freedom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you feel like you feel like you're in the old west. I mean, I always loved these old cowboy movies and stuff. When I was a kid, I always wanted to be a cowboy, and I feel like that is the old west. You walk down this old dirt road. And there's a guy who owns the cafe. There's a guy who's got the bar. There's the fisherman. There's this. And you just stroll through. And it's kind of, there's no law. People just kind of taking care of themselves and taking care of each other. And that's that's the best. Yeah, I felt that too. And it's come up on a lot of past episodes. Yeah. Uh, just where, yeah, please and protect yourself. Take responsibility for yourself. You're an yeah. adult. You, know, you yeah. don't necessarily need the authorities to tell you what to do. And just to clarify, like, you know, the Nicaragua police presence is real and they, I'm sure, could, like, do similar things that they could do in the States to you. But the system, I feel like there's giant cracks in the system down there that I could easily squeeze through, where here those cracks are a lot thinner. That makes sense. And, yeah. fi- and it's harder to, like, aspects of the system up here. Mm-hmm. When I am innocent, like, yeah. like, what's his name? The guy who was committed a... a didn't commit, but was accused of murdering his girlfriend um, down in he, uh, San Juan del Sur in the early like 2000s. Eric Vos spent a year in prison down there for a murder he didn't commit. Wow. You know, so that shit happens. But I mean, he did get out. You know, for that guy Nick Jarvis, whatever it was Jarvis, like mm-hmm. he spent 22 years in prison for murder yeah. he didn't commit here. All right. So sketchy. Stay away from the police. Or just don't. Whatever yeah, I mean, try not to do stupid <laughs> shit like. Don't try to buy cocaine late night, you know, down anywhere, crack or whatever. Don't get drunk. Yeah, no matter where you are, you got to kind of use some common sense. That's for sure. Yeah. But I feel most free, most at home in places like Nicaragua, Asia. I don't feel at home here. (laughs) Well, let's get out of here. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, we hung out, hung out with some mutual friends the other night, uh, that Scotty knows, and we just made a pact that we won't, we won't get stuck here. Like, if we're here within the next two years, like, there's yes. gonna be hell to pay. Yes. So, <laughs> so, if you had to give some advice to somebody listening to this about travel, about starting your own online venture, about doing what you want in life, is there anything you can say to them that? 100%. I would say my, the best advice I could give would be to, like, again, we already talked about your reputation and being a good person. Above all else, just do the right thing. It's impossible to know what right move to make, but if you do the right thing morally, at the end of the day, you're gonna, you're gonna end up in, in a good spot. There's, I just feel like no one can touch you if you're always doing the right thing. At the end of the day, you know, you may have to be patient for a few years, like in my case with my son and stuff, but uh, I know I'm doing the right thing all the time. So I know it's going to work out. If you're traveling and you're going to these other countries, be a good person, do the right thing, help out, reach out and help people get off your ass, show people that you're a good person. And as far as the business goes, um, reach out, throw a couple thousand bucks around and just Try to teach yourself something. This is why I got into it is I realize now that a college education isn't that great. I went to college. You can teach yourself something totally new online off YouTube for free and, and you'll have fun doing it. So if you're not happy doing what you're doing, just learn something new. It's all about learning. Beautifully said, dude. Audience, check him out, beachtreat.info. Get a bamboo straw, support the environment, support Scotty. We love you, dude. Thanks, David. Love you, buddy. Awesome, Scotty. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, sharing your experience and how you started Beach Tree. You know, I think it's very possible anybody listening 
can follow those same steps, you know, going on YouTube, learning the process, and then having their own products fulfilled by Amazon as well. You know, if you really like this episode and you really like Misfits and Rejects and you want to take that extra step in supporting Misfits and Rejects, you can do that through Patreon. You know, Patreon is a platform that allows fans to support things like this online. So what it is is going to patreon.com backslash Misfits and Rejects or just going to Patreon and searching for Misfits and Rejects. I'm on there. And if you feel so inclined, you can give a monthly donation, whatever it may be, $1, $5. Any amount is appreciated. Obviously, nothing is expected. But if you are a fan that wants to take that next step to supporting me and the production of this podcast, I greatly appreciate it. But again, I'm happy to do this. I love doing this. This is a project that I feel strongly about. I think that it's delivering quality information about different lifestyles around the world and how people are making their lives fulfilling in a lot of really unique ways around the world. So thank you so much for listening. You know I think you all are so very beautiful, and I hope you're getting ready to take that first step into designing the life that you've always wanted. And I'll see you in the next episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.